0: But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at VortexOptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from VortexOptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. Hey, everybody. This is Kyle V, host of the Ozark Podcast.
1: If you like the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast, we have a show for you we sit down with local outdoorsmen of Arkansas, Missouri, and Oklahoma to talk all things hunting, fishing, conservation, history, and culture in the Ozark Mountains region. Just like the outdoorsmen who live here, we follow the seasons and interview regional experts to discuss the pursuits of hunting turkeys, bears, and whitetail, as well as the science behind their conservation. Join me and my co-host Kyle Plunkett every Wednesday, and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast, coming at you today with a breakdown episode. Jacob, how you doing?
0: Oh, doing well, dude. You're looking awful red over there. Uh, awful red. I'm super sunburned. You can't tell. I've got long sleeves on. i got the new trace top on, but yeah, super red sunburned. Uh, two days out in the field, mm-hmm. uh, filming a whole bunch for some new video content we're going to be putting out, and uh, man, we were out, I think, yesterday for like almost seven hours, and yeah. then, like... And then today I was out for another probably five and still didn't even get everything filmed that I need to. So I got to go back again tomorrow. Yeah. A lot, so. lot of footage, a lot of video stuff going down. So excited about
1: that. We got three or four, I guess, three or four different video projects in the work right now that I think people are going to like. Um, one video project that just dropped on our YouTube channel is uh, actually a basically a hunt breakdown and, and the hunt of my scrape buck that i shot on our mountain hunt this past year we're gonna do a full film of like the entire hunt which we're working on right now we just finished up shooting some stuff for that uh but the actual hunt breakdown where i i basically i did a voiceover on it i go over the terrain i look i have a map pulled up on there that shows you the location of the scrape and kind of how the setup was and i kind of talked through the setup and then it goes into the the scouting and when i found the scrape and looking around and putting the cameras up and everything and the the rubs and buck sign that I found. And then it goes into the hunt where we actually went in and were able to shoot that buck.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So got some great feedback on it so far. So that's the first hunt video that's been on our YouTube in how long? A couple
0: years? <laughs> mm-hmm. A year or so? Yeah, no, probably two years.
1: Well, We've done other stuff on our YouTube channel, but we haven't done a lot of hunt stuff until this past year. And we, we really went in on filming hunts and longtime listeners know that. Uh, y'all been hearing us talk about it but we got uh, a lot invested in camera gear and a lot of time and effort invested trying to get over this learning curve. But uh, I'm really happy with how it turned out. Um, yeah, so
0: y'all. Well, just jump ahead uh-huh. while Andrew's kind of rambling through. Go to YouTube and go watch the video. It's awesome. I think you'll really enjoy it. I think there's some good mm-hmm. learning experiences from it. Uh, also, some really solid takeaways, and uh, hopefully, it gets you guys excited about other hunting video content we've got coming out. Because uh, there's uh, quite a few other hunts that are still in the the hopper, you could say, uh, to be edited and be ready to drop this summer and early fall. So, yep. Um, hopefully, get y'all excited as much as it gets us excited just to produce it and. And, uh, yeah, it's a a fun time. I'm super excited because, again, last year was a little more of a test run for us when it comes to video content. But now going into this season, we've got uh, so many different things planned, so many different cool hunts planned. And uh, I think you guys are going to really enjoy kind of following along with us.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, And, you know, we're going for a lot of educational content in these as well. So all the stuff you hear about on the podcast, we're going to definitely work that into these videos. So you're going to get something out of the video Um, But we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Uh, One other quick thing before we jump into talking about Monday's episode. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for helping us get past 1,000 Reviews
0: yep so just wow. to re- just to repeat because you know a- andrew's voice didn't care out right there i am not like kind of got a little, little little low tone there you're not <laughs> well, very a thousand exci- reviews yeah. buddy a thousand reviews on apple podcast that's a huge accomplishment for us guys and um all you listeners tremendously helped us out everyone that's been leaving us reviews the last few weeks to help us push to that point and that was a goal of ours to hit a thousand reviews by this summer and we've done it because of you guys i so thank y'all so very much so I'd also kind of see some of the reviews and kind of see some of y'all's feedback on the show which i liked about it and also how long some of y'all been listening to the show that's kind of the fun part of it because yeah. some of you guys mentioned like oh man i've been listening for three years now man that's a that's a lot of episodes yeah, man yeah we'll and, hit
1: some of those reviews at the end of this podcast for sure Yeah, we'll, we'll get we'll get to reading them uh let's talk about let's talk about jeremy aaron uh jacob what you think about monday's episode with him
0: oh dude jeremy is a wealth of knowledge i'm so excited again see him in person and and get to speak with him at the mobile hunters expo in chattanooga tennessee the week uh, or the weekend of june 24th jeremy's actually one of the guest speakers uh, for the event, and I'm really excited to kind of get him to maybe even go in some more details of some things that we didn't actually cover on the podcast, and even some of the things that we did cover on the podcast, especially about finding your niche, I think he's going to discuss in some more detail as well for the show, so I'm super excited to hear him talk about all this, but uh, I mean, dude, he's a wealth of knowledge, you know, his amount of hunting experience, his amount of going out and traveling, and he's been doing it for over 20 years now, almost th- actually 30 years, and the success he's had in so many different states. Hunting whitetails and even other species But again we kind of hit home on the white tails. It's just fascinating And a huge takeaway that I really want us to kind of Talk about on this breakdown episode Is the idea Of finding your niche And once you have That niche of the habitat and terrain That you feel like you can have success in And you understand how to replicate that success In that habitat How about going and finding that same kind of habitat and terrain In other states And that's like I think based off what he's done and other guys I know as well, that's the one of the quickest ways to truly have tremendous success out yep. of state, out of your home state, when you're traveling to new areas that maybe you haven't stepped foot on before. Because if you're very comfortable hunting very specific terrain types and habitat types, deer are going to do what deer are going to do in, in the same kind of habitat areas most of the time, especially if hunting pressure is similar along with axis and all that kind of stuff. There's some factors can definitely change it a little bit, but you know, deer in hill country in Alabama are going to act like deer in hill country in Arkansas and act like deer in hill country in Georgia. Georgia and same thing it seems like with what Jeremy talks about with river bombs and hunting river bomb areas Um, he loves the boat access and how he really tries to find that kind of habitat in all the states that he travels to and really targets those areas and really breaks that stuff down and has had unbelievable success doing so
1: yeah absolutely I'm excited to get him back on and get into some of the nitty-gritty too of his actual tactics and his thought process behind like weather fronts uh scrapes rubs like buck sign reading that river bottoms that that all is very intriguing to me One, because we have a lot of river bottom hunts actually coming up this year. We're going to be hunting a lot of that kind of country, and it's not something I'm super confident in yet. I feel like um, we talked about it last week. I'm I'm starting to kind of come into my own. I feel like when it comes to the hill country and the the mountain stuff, I'm starting to build that confidence, and I'm feeling like that's maybe like my niche. You know, I can go somewhere. I can go to Tennessee or Arkansas or maybe Kentucky or somewhere like that, and I feel like I'd be able to figure out what the deer are doing in hill country. And I just haven't had a lot of experience in – flat bottomland stuff yet to really build that confidence. And that's why I got I got so interested when he mentioned the community scrape thing because I mentioned on the show that, or on that episode that when it comes to hill country, I feel like I can find a community scrape on in hill country based on like a topo map and and a satellite image where you kind of overlay the topo and the satellite. And our last YouTube video showing that hunt of the mountain buck is exactly what I'm talking about. If you guys go watch that video, it shows where those community there's two community scrapes in that video it shows where both of them were how they related to each other how the deer were relating to them and that's something that i feel like i can go replicate in other Mm -hmm. places but i don't really feel like i can do that in flatlands yet so i really wanted to go deeper on the scrape thing but we're we're trying to get away from doing like three hour episodes so i had to kind of skip over that one but we're just gonna we're gonna have them back on to go deeper on all that stuff but
0: do you have any like thoughts or whatever on any of that (laughs) I mean, when you, cause I knew how you were asking that question and I don't think he was tracking exactly in the format that you, th- you were trying to ask the question because mm-hmm. you were kind of, I think coming from the idea of, is there a way to find this on an aerial map area, areas that potentially have a community scrape, kind of like what you're doing in Hill Country, where mm-hmm. you can look at a topo map and be like, based off these terrain features, there's probably going to be a community scrape in this, you know, in and around this specific area, this terrain feature. And I don't know. I almost was going to re-ask the same question, but I didn't. Yeah. Um, and the way he kind of talked about it, it's more from like the boots on the ground is kind of the way he was talking about. Like he kind of took that question and kind of spun it a different way where it's, you know, kind of boots on the ground, find like those transition areas and the areas that those deer spend time in around the thick cover, around, you know, these different funnels. And... You know, that's kind of where you're finding the community scrape. But there wasn't anything in great detail that he really covered, at least on this first episode with him. Again, we're going to have to have Jeremy back on. But not he didn't really cover it in the first episode of is there a way to potentially find those scrape areas and those community scrapes based off a topographical or aerial map. And I will guess probably not. Because mm-hmm. in flatland, I mean, you can look at terrain features and stuff. But, like, I have found, you know, in, in the limited river bottom hunt, uh, hunting I've done in the last few years, you look at a spot, and I don't think I've ever found a community scrape so far on river bombs, which has only been a couple of years now. It's not like yeah. I have extensive knowledge, kind of like what anywhere close to what Jeremy's talking about and talking from, but. I don't think there's a terrain feature specifically that you're going to find it on. I think it's very much what's underneath the canopy level uh-huh. and what are those deer associating to and, and traveling through. Again, what is like, you have the overall canopy of the timber, but is there a sub canopy? Is there some kind of thicker cover underneath that that is going to help kind of transition those deer from one area to another area and potentially find that community scrape somewhere in between those transition areas?
1: Yeah, he, he kind of said that though too. He, he said like you got to find a thicket. Um, and you got to find where the deer are coming back and forth in that thicket. And really, I think if you think about what a community scrape is and, and why it is in a certain spot, again, this is something that we put in that video is there's like a certain number of like ingredients. I feel like you have to have to have a really good community scrape Mm -hmm. and it's a, it's, it's habitat. And terrain compounding together, so it's compounding features. You know, it's like not just any old saddle is going to have a community scrape in it. It's it's going to have to be something a little bit more significant than that. You got to kind of zoom out from a landscape level and look. Why are, why are a bunch of deer going to be passing by this spot? What like why would they put a community scrape there? Because the community scrape is only I only find them in spots where uh, there's a lot of deer traffic. Mm-hmm. You know, like there needs to be a pretty decent pocket of deer right there that and and you're going to have like i guess your doe groups that are living right there in that spot and then you're going to have all kinds of deer coming and going who are maybe just passing through maybe it's on the edge of their home range and then in the rut you're going to have bucks that are kind of hanging around that area and the way i put it on the video is like that scrape is just like a focal point in a larger terrain feature that the deer are already using and you can take advantage of that scrape by you know hunting close to it or putting a camera on it because they might be using a terrain feature that's 300 yards wide but you know, there's no guarantee that they're going to come right by that, this one trail. Like there's no defined trail in that giant saddle, you know, like where we hunted, there's no defined trail where I shot that buck, but that scrape is in a spot and, you know, a certain number of deer are going to come and actually hit that scrape. And then a certain number of deer are going to swing around downwind of that scrape, probably within about a hundred yards. So you're taking that and it's just like a spot in there that might focus the deer activity just a little bit.
0: It seems like when you find community scrapes, those, a buck could check that scrape whether it's a rising thermal or a falling thermal. Mm-hmm. If they can only check it on a the falling thermal, it's probably not going to be a community scrape. If they can only check it on a rising thermal, it's probably not going to be a community scrape. But if they can check it from both sides, again, above it and below it, I feel like that's where potentially, if you're looking at a map that's where you're going to find the community scrapes. Like, they're not going to be at the very top of a ridge. I mean, you probably could find some like that, Mm -hmm. but it seems like they're just off the side. They're just off one of those secondary points, just off a bench, just somewhere where a buck can circle 80 yards up above it, scent check it, or he can circle 80 yards down below it and scent check it. And if he wants to, he can come directly up to it if he needs to.
1: And see, that's what I'm getting at is, like, that's kind of like the principles of a community scrape. So, like, there should be something like that in Flatland. Like, there's those ingredients. Like, the way I'm picturing it, which I don't know if this is true at all, I, I want to talk to people like Jeremy and kind of figure it out, uh, and see if they've seen this. But sounds like there needs to be some kind of thicket or something that's holding deer, Ooh. and then some kind of pinch near that thicket where maybe they're swinging
0: around one side of it, like a slew head or something like that. I do you one better. I'll tell you who the guy that talked to you about this is Doug White from down Florida. Uh huh. And I almost guarantee because I'm sure he's found plenty of community scripts down Ooh, there, like thermal swirls, that is, is right where it swirls at. Like yeah. where and what, what we mean is. You know, for listeners that aren't tracking, especially in flatland, you have this in hill country too. But if you have low and high cover, well, I mean, like it could be a clear cut. To a tree line, it could be um, you know you know ten year old pines up against huge mature pines or or, or a uh, hardwood stand, something where you have different levels of cover, and especially if there's a close to a ninety degree angle there between the cover. So maybe you have like a, a pretty hard angle on that heavy tree line, and there's an open area next to it. It Could be a field, it could be a clear cut, it could be anything like that. The wind would typically swirl in those corners, and if I remember correctly. That one of the episodes we did with Doug I'm White, to out
1: which one it is? Um, we did. Do, we've done three. I think. With I think him. I
0: th- I'll be honest. I think it's the last one we did with him. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is the last one we did with him. No, it's the other one uh, talking about a uh, uh, big buck behaviors. He's killed quite a few bucks with a muzzleloader or centerfire rifle because. In oh, those yeah. in those areas, because he's not able to bow hunt it, because the wind swirls so bad in those corners. But it's one of those spots. Again, we're not talking about them coming into open, you know, out of into open field or anything like that. But it's just a cover difference between the mature timber and then whatever's lying closer to the floor, the, yeah. the floor of the canopy or the, the ground level and he's able to sit back for enough far enough where he's hunt with like a crosswind or a wind kind of coming over the corner of his back but he can shoot to that corner and shoot maybe into the timber right there a little bit and catching big bucks coming up and scent checking that spot because if anything's within two to three hundred yards potentially of that corner or of that again abrupt edge potentially he can get in there and smell it because it's going to be swirling down that spot. Exactly.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. So that's episode 388. Um, if anyone wants to go back and listen to that, like anybody who's tuning in, episode 388 of the Southern Outdoorsman podcast, and just to kind of give people some bullet points, some stuff that like bullet points that we put in the show description. is uh, Hunt a mature buck is like a different species, but what does that actually mean? We cover a buck's circuit and how it's different from the rest of the deer herd. Uh, we look at how mature bucks consistently avoid the the bulk of the hunting pressure every year. Uh, insight into how mature bucks specifically target areas where you have wind swirl to scent check large areas. An example of those wind swirl areas, kind of like what you just covered, which is fascinating. That yeah. was super, super fascinating. That was a great episode. And,
0: and again, that's, uh, talk, uh, what was the title again? So it's episode 388, but what was the title again? The title
1: is Big Buck Behavior Patterns with Doug White. And so you can either go scroll back in our feed to episode 388, it came out July 18th, 2022. Uh, or you could just search the title of it, and uh, and you'll be able to find
0: it pretty easily. Yeah. But again, that's a fascinating topic, and that's almost where I would expect to find a communion scrape, is where you find one of those swirling eddies along the timber edge. Um, you know, I think some of the examples he talked about was kind of like an open swamp next to timber and stuff like that, mm-hmm. where, again, that wind, it doesn't have to be a lot of wind. It doesn't have to be super high, windy conditions. It could be, you know, six, seven miles an hour, and it can still swirl back in there and kind of eddy on top of itself. Yeah, Think
1: of it like a, like a stream bed or something something you know like water going over a stream bed like all the little bumps and obstructions and everything the wind's going to hit it and react to it in some way and that's why hill country is so hard with a swirling wind but even flatland uh you can really tell when you have like a good wind coming across a big like ag field or something or a big cut over and then it hits that tree line like the stuff that it's doing and we uh we talked to bill Vale about that too didn't we We talked to him a little Mm -hmm. bit about something similar. I can't remember exactly what it was now. But we talked to a couple different people who've talked about targeting stuff like that, where you have that that wind is hitting that tree line and then, like, curling around and eddying right there. And uh, that's a fascinating subject,
0: dude. We should should cover that again. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But if I had to guess, kind of going back to Jeremy's episode that's probably where I would expect to find a community scrape Mm -hmm. is a location or, again, a primary scrape where just bucks are using. But in one of those areas where you have a ton of swirling winds, and I I would expect to find a couple different habitat edges in a spot where maybe you have a – maybe it's not completely open, but as in like you know open swamp or overgrown pasture or something like that, but maybe – or CRP field. But maybe you have super open, almost like a select-cut open – timber mm-hmm. where like the wind can carry through it super easily and yeah. then, you, then you hit like a hard edge of or a harder edge not necessarily a hard edge but like you have a, a edge of pines right there like thicker pines and or some lower cover mixed in where again that wind almost hits it like a wall and starts eddying right there and that's probably where you'd find the community scrape but again some of that maybe if you kind of go back to listen to Doug's episode Doug White's episode episode 388 maybe after listening to it maybe it kind of gives you ideas of where to look at if you're kind of in that habitat or hunt that kind of habitat and looking for community scrapes but that's definitely something i would try to see and and maybe you could kind of figure that out on the map and also paying attention to your predominant winds uh for the time of year that again those bucks should be checking those scrapes yeah and then kind of think about that because again if if it's swirling and say you're getting typically a north northwest wind you know during hunting season during close around the rut and pre-rut you know how's that wind going to swirl? If you're talking about north northwest, you know potentially you're looking at a corner that faces that direction a little bit, or it's mm-hmm. just off center of that direction. Something that maybe kind of you have an opening that's kind of facing to the the northeast, where that kind of wind comes across, and then it could swirl back in there and kind of eddy back into that corner. Yeah. So it's uh that is something that's super interesting, and I almost would bet that if Jeremy finds them, it's in an area kind of like that.
1: Yeah, I think you're probably right. Uh, let's talk about his uh, Jeremy's tactic of purposefully seeking out areas that are basically up against a sanctuary. Yep that that's some juice right there. Yeah, and a spot, that's some good stuff in a
0: spot that you definitely I, I I can guarantee it never came to your mind because I think you've only well I'm not even gonna mention anything because yeah <laughs> we, I know listeners. Anyways, um, there's a spot that you've hunted very little, but has that next to it. And, uh, very yeah, and you're not going to get it. I guarantee you're not going to get it. But dang, now uh, I'm curious. Yeah, I know. You're definitely And right. I can't tell you. But I'll tell you, <laughs> if have, you have to remind me after episode. But there is publicly. What in, state is it in? I'm not telling you. Oh my gosh. Come too, on. Too much info. Look. No, Look. Come on. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, so here, here, type it. Uh, type, I got to see okay, what this okay. is. So, uh, there you go. T- ah! Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, bro. Okay. Um. An- anyway. Oh, oh, yeah. oh. Hey, you still probably don't know it. No, I think I do. I only hunted it once. Maybe. Uh. You ask a lot of questions. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> let's get off. The, let's get off that topic. But the whole I- <laughs> the whole idea of the sanctuary, guys. So, having a sanctuary close by, it, it gives a, a excellent example of this. Excellent example that has nothing to do with public land. So we can talk about it. Now I'm just being all, being all selfish here. Um, <laughs> our family farm down Bibb County, that's where we've been filming at the last few days, doing some cool... Oh, do, yeah. do, Working on some cool projects down there. Uh, there is a very, very large landowner on the backside of our family farm. On the backside of our family farm, that parcel... And this is a very large landowner. They do not hunt that parcel at all. And you're talking about thousands upon thousands of acres that is not hunted. Now, I'm... Not gonna say ain't nobody around there. Maybe not hunted sl- legally. Yeah, not hunted we'll put legally. It that Let's way. put it that way. Yeah. yeah. Um, there might be I'm sure somebody's out there. I could probably pick a p- couple people down there that probably would do that. <laughs> so um, but it, it has very little pressure, if any pressure, hunting pressure on that property. And it acts truly as a sanctuary. And it's every single year there'll be really, really good bachelor groups of bucks, like mature bucks on the family farm, especially early season. is as they disperse, Probably quite a few of those bucks because oh, this farms only 90 acres. Quite a few of those bucks will probably transfer over to that larger property. And it's amazing during the rut what shows up when the doe groups on the family farm start coming to heat. And you have all these quote unquote traveler bucks coming back through. And some of them you might have had a trail camera on in the summertime, some of them you've never seen before, but they're coming off that property. And yeah. I'm talking mature bucks, big Bagan. bucks. And it's, it's just fascinating. How well that property sets up, especially come the rut, because you don't know what's going to show up because you don't have yeah. any hunting pressure coming from that side of the property, mm-hmm. uh, which is the pretty much the whole southern border of our farm is up against that sanctuary. Um, and then it's like, you know, you have other places as well. You know, he kind of gave the example of, you know, sometimes in some states you'll have public land up against a state park that's not hunted and it's not it's not open to hunting but because of that it acts as a huge sanctuary so you have this huge land mass that bucks and does can be on and during the rut when those bucks start traveling and try to find some other does that are coming to heat that's when they could wander onto the public and you could have some great opportunities there um well this could go
1: for private land too if you're looking for a lease or something like that that can that can come into consideration especially if you're familiar with an area and you know stuff that, that you can't necessarily just search on the internet and find like, uh, like you're talking about with your uncle's property. If if someone's just looking at Onyx and they f- and they find like your uncle's property, they're not going to necessarily know that nobody hunts the property adjacent to yep. it. You know, so that that's where it kind of pays to be familiar with an area or, or kind of go and just I don't know, ask around, like get to look, get to know some locals or something. Uh, like we know people who do that, who who've done that successfully, and they yep. found out that it's not like a state park or something like that, but it is a really high dollar hunting club. You know, that Mm -hmm. that manages for trophy bucks and he hunts some stuff next to it and he's killed a couple of slammers off of it. Yep, And and so that that's worked out for him really well. So but you can you can do it with private land, too. I mean, that's a pretty slick tactic for sure.
0: Yeah. But again, a lot of that uh, to me, unless it's like public land uh, again, like unhunted public land. It's harder to know if a private landowner is actually using the property. Mm-hmm. Um, or if it's a. Or if it's
1: like a trophy club.
0: Or on the flip side, you're up against some private property that's completely not hunted because it's part of an industry. Give, it, give it an example, like you could have an area where you have either like a mine operation close by, you could have a power company, like a big power plant, you could have mm-hmm. all kinds of different things, especially like utility paper companies. Mill. Yeah, paper mills that have, you know, they may have six or 700 acres that that property's on, or even bigger than that. But more than likely, um, unless a couple employees got some access to go hunt the place, it's probably not going to get hunted much at all. And again, that kind of acts as a sanctuary that, again, you can kind of key in on and figure out, you know, if there's public land close by or you have a club next to it or lease or you get, you know, private property, whatever, um, you know, what that travel path looks like. And again, where you could potentially attract those does onto that property that you're on. Or if you're, again, if you're on public land, what's the best travel corridor coming off that private? and then coming on to the public and then kind of you know honing in on that yeah um so yeah. it's uh, a that, that is that is super interesting and definitely something i'm going to take into much more consideration when we kind of hunt around to different areas
1: yeah definitely it's a great it's a great idea great tactic um hey you know what you know what uh we didn't do what draw kansas yeah <laughs> <laughs> we got so cock- I had to listen to the last <laughs> we were last cock- outro. We, we were cocky, we got so cocky, dude. Oh my gosh, I, I was listening to the last outro to do the mid roll thing. And uh, golly, I was listening to it. We're like, yeah, when we go to Kansas this, this year, <laughs> like just like we had it, and we didn't, dude. Well, we
0: got we got smited. Well, I, I'm going to give some context to the listeners. Yeah. So we put in, uh, actually individually, we weren't able to put in as a group because because we waited till the last second. Yeah, we messed were it. irresponsible. But going into the drawing, I had three points for Kansas. Andrew had two points. Mm-hmm. And what we are trying to draw, most people are like, oh, man, you should draw Kansas. No problem with that. Because typically it takes zero to one points to draw pretty much everywhere in the state. Some spots may take a, you know maybe a point to two points. Archery. Archery. Well, we try to put in for their muzzler tag. And their muzzler tags are very few and far between. They don't give out a whole bunch of them to non-residents. And it is a early season muzzler hunt. It is in September. It's the opening week of the archery season, which typically is right around September 11th, 12th time frame. And typically runs into the 20th to 24th. And um, again, you know, hunting bucks, coming to of bachelor group, they've already shed velvet, but potentially still daylighting a decent amount. And I was very, very confident. I'm like, we drew that tag, you know, we had a big enough area to go around. We should find a pretty nice buck to be able to go after mm. um, with the muzzlers. Well Golly. even with that many points we did not draw. Negative. And I was like, Is this Ohio? I got like, I got the doing? email.
1: I was like I was at the garden center or something buying some freaking plants from my front yard and I got the email and it was like draw results. I was like, Yes and I clicked on it and it was like <laughs> unsuccessful and I was like, Oh man And then I'm like, Well Jacob's gonna draw it, I'm not, I'm gonna have to be a freaking cameraman. Yep. And so and then I called you and you were like, What? You didn't draw? You were so surprised and then you looked and you were just crushed
0: i mean crushed it broke my heart it broke my heart <laughs> yeah. I, it, it, that was bad that was like dude i'll tell you what we jinxed the heck out of it dude, it was like a bad sure. it was like a bad breakup man just, like, <laughs> it, it, it just i just kept sulking and just sulking just like misery for Tiffany's like he's like what's hours. wrong i'm like i didn't draw kansas yeah i was like <laughs> oh my gosh dude
1: <laughs> yeah that was pretty bad so uh we're calling an audible we're hunting Georgia.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, <it's>, uh,
1: <laughs> so, uh, Georgia, here we come.
0: Whoopee. Whoopee. Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like Georgia. Yeah, I do too. But uh,
1: Especially yeah. because Georgia, God bless them, does their license uh, 365 days. So, I bought my license in early October last year when mm-hmm. we hunted Georgia. So, I can hunt all September on that same license, yep. which is awesome. Yep. I wish more states did it like because Alabama's not like that. Ours no. expires at the end of August. So if you buy your license on like August 25th, you got like <laughs> 6 days and then you got to buy another license. Yeah, it's pretty pretty bad. Yeah, I don't like that.
0: I don't like that one bit. Yeah, I, I love the I love the annual license. So it, it's annual to the point when you buy it. So, mm-hmm. you know, you buy in November, is good to November of the next year. And I'm like that's nice.
1: Houndstooth Game Calls is your home tooth game calls that's sop24 use it at checkout it helps the podcast
0: true lock chokes has been made in georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes over two thousand different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities you might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a true lock choke and it's to improve your shotgun performance absolutely guaranteed and as a great example we have andrew maxwell here and uh andrew you've had some pretty good luck again kind of switching out chokes and trying out the precision hunter choke from true lock so Andrew what's been your experience so far
1: yeah I've always I've used the same choke for several years now I never really thought much of it and I got the true lock choke in I patterned my gun with the first choke at uh, 30 and 50 and then I switched to the true lock and changed from 30 to 50 and the 50 yard pattern on my gun with the true lock choke is unbelievable like everybody's jaws were dropping like when I, we were out there with Mike and Sam we were all super impressed I mean it's throwing a better pattern at fifty
0: now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke. And Andrew, you're shooting the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. It's a great option. Same chokes I have in my shotgun. So guys if you want to give True Lock a shot this spring, you can head over to truelockchokes.com. That's T-R-U-L-O-C-K-chokes.com. You can also use the promo code southern at checkout at True and save 10% on your order. Again, give True Lock a shot this spring. Especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun, and shoot with a more deadly pattern with True Lock.
1: You uh, you want to talk a little bit about the thought process, kind of calling the audible for uh for Georgia? No, um, and kind of what we're doing there. No, not at no. all. No,
0: no, no yeah, yeah, we talk about. It that just depends. Okay, yeah, yeah, you, we'll go for it. I, I'm, listen, Mar- I don't I'm, know what you want I'm, to say. I'm getting back into like secretive, <laughs> dear Jacob, which is like you know. <laughs> i don't know I'm like it's not where ch- like chasing any big deer I just don't like talk about nothing yeah i like to talk to people about other stuff no um yeah so we're hunting <laughs> we're hunting georgia um we are gonna uh, what do i want to say i mean i guess it doesn't really matter but uh there's a lot of public in georgia we're, we're, gonna, be, we're gonna be hunting some hill country in georgia um targeting not pine thickets Yes. Thank God. Let's try Like, there's nothing, like, I love pines, especially when it gets cold. Okay? Yeah. Like, I love, like, hunting some slut cut pines with some clear cut and all that kind of stuff, kind of later in the season, love it to death. Mm -hmm. Early season, there's nothing more miserable than hunting when it's hot as crap, 85 plus degrees, high humidity in pines when a freaking wind cannot blow through it.
1: Yeah, no, that's pretty miserable. Um, and the, the overwhelming amount of thickets, too, it's kind of weird. I think we talked about this a, w- a week or two ago, yep. but after hunting Georgia in that September season, I think I've done it four years now, mm-hmm. it's it's like the the idea of the positive-negative terrain is flipped, so the deer aren't aren't necessarily in those thick pines that they're going to be in later in the year, like yeah. the kind of thick pines that we always talk about liking to hunt, and that, looking back, is like really what screws me up, because... I'm thinking like oh I need to access down this creek bottom and
0: the minute I hit a cane thicket I blow five does out of it yeah. you know on the creek and it makes you have to walk to the pine thicket which yes. has briars which rattlesnakes not, and all it, kinds of good stuff not fun Not it's just not fun to walk through and there's no way to do it quietly and it's crazy like a pine thicket like if I'm walking through a pine thicket in December and it's 35 40 degrees yeah i'm like okay it's, you know you know no, yeah. no not bad i'm fine with the briar it's just there's no leaves on it it's like okay cool i can slip through this stuff i kind of see where i'm going yeah you go into a pine thicket and when i mean a pine thicket, we're talking about high stem count like not just uh i mean it could be mature timber if it's been but if it's been select cut but like you have so much foliage or for you foliage <laughs> foliage, <laughs> foliage on, on the leaf uh, you know leaf foliage um, you can't see, like you cannot see anything in front of you. If you're on the ground, typically in a lot of stuff, you know, you could have a deer 20 yards from you on the ground and you could not see no. it. You could, have a, you could have a hunter there and you can't see him. And then when you climb up the tree... If you're in the right spot, you can kind of see down through some of the stuff, but it's still super, super, super tough. Yep. And uh, very, very And then you, know, of course, you know, trying to find some feed trees early season, like it, it definitely works out for some people. But we're talking mostly like in those areas where you have some small SMZs, and it, it's it's interesting because again, you walk down those SMZs, those streamside management zones where all the hardwoods are at, you start bumping deer. You're like, well, crap, because there's water there, there's shade, they got yep. a nice breeze. Yep. Because in pine thicket, you ain't having. There's no breeze. Mm-mm. I mean, especially if it's thick understory, the wind, unless it's blowing super, super. Hard. It's got to be 15 plus mile an hour, 20 plus mile an hour, in order for that breeze to really carry through a pine. Take it super easily. Early season, late season, not so much. Early season is very much like that. That uh you know, all those deer want to kind of be. It seems like right on the edge of it, right on the edge of the SMZ, and it makes you where you are just bumping deer left and right, walking through that. Yeah. Uh, walk again, walking through the the the, the hard woods, trying to get back to a spot. So pull an audible. We're not going to go back to where we were last year. Going to go to a different part of the state and and try to get out of some of that habitat, Uh, especially for the early season. And, again, you know, I think the process, the mindset going to it, it's kind of what we were trying to do last year in Georgia, but it just didn't work out to us because I think we were too late. Yes. But last year when we went to Georgia early season – uh or i said not really it was early but it wasn't like opening week it was in the uh, first it was week like of october. october 2nd yeah so it was like, like that first week of october so had had been in for you know three weeks almost by that point um we were trying to find rub lines trying to find whip rubs where you have these super small saplings at these bucks even a big buck he'll destroy it, he'll rip the top of it out but they come through and they're rubbing their velvet off and it's kind of like those first little territorial uh rubs that they'll make before they start rubbing bigger and bigger trees and uh typically it seems like in the past when you can find stuff like that you can almost kind of backtrack where that sign is coming from and set up on the edge of whatever that cover type or wherever that bedding area looks like and potentially get that buck coming out during daylight or close to it yeah uh, in the evening <clears throat> well last year when we went into georgia there was that sign but it was old by the time we got there maybe it was two three weeks old four mm-hmm. weeks old And we couldn't find any fresh we weren't finding any kind of fresh on we find tracks finding a newer rub every now and then but it wasn't like the pattern you typically could find early on right when the velvet's coming out and uh you know they've only been out of velvet for a couple weeks um so flip side where we're going to this new era and trying to be there again you know that opening week kind of time period Hopefully, trying to go in with the mindset to be able to find some of that sign, find those whip rubs, find those super fresh rubs, kind of showing where not only just an individual bucks going back and forth, but potentially even a a bachelor group where they're coming off, you know, a ridge point from bed, coming down to go feed, or vice versa, and kind of crossing and be able to kind of find that sign and track it back to potentially, you know, a a good-looking bedding area and setting up for specifically an evening hunt or. If we're blessed with a nice little, I mean, it's not a cold front, a cool front in September, <laughs> where instead of being 95 degrees, it might be 80 degrees or 75. If it it's 75, I'll be so dude, excited, yeah, and uh, I'll be out there in a jacket, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, that's that would be killer, and we could potentially have some really good morning activity if yep. we if we get some, you know, some weather like that. Um, so yeah, I, I'm excited about because it it'll be it'll be interesting to kind of you know apply that. You know, in this new area, in an area we've never been to before, uh, it seems pretty good, um, and just kind of excited, kind of dive in and see what we can find. Uh, and again, being in an area that just it's not just engulfed with pine trees, it's going to be fun. Yeah, definitely. Um, kicking the diversity down a notch
1: for sure. I, mm-hmm. I feel like that'll not well, not even necessarily that. I think it's just the, the lack of that those thickets. Um, I think I think will probably make it a little bit easier. It's something that something that I have had success on in early yeah. season in the past and kind of going back to like where you're more comfortable. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And it's funny when I brought it up to you, it was like the next day after we didn't draw Kansas, and I was like, well, what do you want to do in September now? And you were like, I don't know. We were talking, and I was like, we could go back to Georgia. We still got our licenses. And you were like yeah we can and i was like hey what, what about this place and you're like well what's that place like and i explained it and you're like okay yeah.
0: all right yeah i wasn't looking forward to going back to where we had been at previously yeah whooped last time yeah i mean whooped yeah it was bad i felt bad for my cameraman so
1: yeah <laughs> yeah it was tough man it was tough and even on that hunt kind of like going back to what you were just saying the only deer that we killed was that buck i shot and he was right there in that bottom in a cane thicket yep. in the bottom, and I just I had to walk so far to find that spot, and finally I found it, and you know got lucky and, and had him come by in the morning at like nine thirty, yeah. nine forty five, something like that. Yep. So and and the day before I jumped the buck and he was bedded right there in that creek bottom. I mean right next to the creek, and so they're they're using that that thermal advantage like they're they're. It's it's not really thermal cover, but it's like they're they're hiding from the the heat as best they can. Yeah, it, is it's, really the best way to put it. It's not
0: necessarily thermals for like as in like they're kind of sitting in a spot where they can smell. Yeah. I mean, kind of that. They're but just
1: not roasting in a pine. Yeah, ticket.
0: because that's that's the thing we realize. You walk through like some, especially some of these shorter pines. I mean, you know, pines that are probably seven eight years old the sun can still kind of get through them and it is like a convection oven yeah i mean just like the sun beating off those trees and again the 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 limbs like you're kind of like dodging limbs as you're walking through it and you just feel yourself roasting walking through it at 10 o'clock in the morning like there's not gonna be a deer here they're not in this stuff they're gonna be in that shade they're gonna be in the area where they have they have more of a breeze um and and that's something i think we can take advantage of
1: because that time of year I, I, i feel like you can get pretty technical with okay here's a north facing slope here's the canopy is like this this is what the habitat looks like and you can actually use that heat to your advantage a little bit potentially and be like okay they're not going to be like right here on the south facing slope in this open spot because they'll they'll get a sunburn you yeah. know they're going to be over here potentially oh, they
0: gonna, So they're going to have a heat stroke so that's that's,
1: that's why <laughs> that's that's one thing i was looking at when i was looking at potential areas for us to go is uh kind of thinking of it from that perspective like how can we kind of actually use this heat to our advantage? Like where are the steep north-facing slopes on a creek bank? Because when we scouted the mountains here in Alabama last year in May, you remember we found that. We found very, very steep slopes that they're not north-facing, but they're not south-facing either. So they they were very shaded in the middle of the day. And it was a pretty warm day, but it, it wasn't that bad. It was a, It was a nice May day. But we got down in that bottom where that creek was flowing through, very steep, very shaded. It had stayed shaded all morning. And we got down there, and it was like a little bit chilly. You know, it was a very, very noticeable difference. And and the it was probably lunchtime at that point, and the thermals were still coming down that creek mm-hmm. at like noon. Mm-hmm. And they had just never switched because that it stayed so shaded and so cooled. And I think that's what your deer are going to be looking for that time of year. Yeah. So I, that's what I'm, I'm excited of, kind of take advantage of kind of goes back to what some guys talk about. Uh, find whatever, you know, feature or whatever weather pattern is going mm-hmm. on and find a, try to figure out a way that you can actually make, make that your advantage, take advantage of it, whether it's super windy or maybe it's, like, super rainy and it's been raining and uh, you can use that to your advantage by, like, being able to sneak through the woods easier and be more quiet after the rain. Or if it's super windy, find places that are sh- shielded from the wind. Just stuff like that. you know. Just try to figure out a way to use whatever crappy weather you got dealt for that week to your advantage. And that especially goes if you got an out-of-state trip planned and you really can't move it very much. Mm-hmm. And you're like, hey, I'm going to Missouri you know, the first week of November and you got like rain and whatever coming that week and it's like well i already put in my vacation time i got family stuff i have to go this yeah, week
0: i'll take i'll still take rain over super hot temps but yeah, yeah. me too <laughs> if, at least if it's raining a front's coming through and uh should yep. get deer on their feet but yeah no like this the super hot temps that's why i always feel bad for people is like you know you take a week off a vacation and you go hunt somewhere especially if you're like trying to go to the midwest and you get dealt with some 75 degree weather you know, in November or 70 degree weather, and you're like, what the, what the heck? It's just a bummer. I mean, yeah, like that, that, you know, it's hard. The thing is like white taunting is so mental as in like the mental toughness of staying focused while you're, you know, you're out there and also like not taking shortcuts, like truly trying to stick to the game plan. And when you have temper, when you have like stuff like that, that kind of makes you like, Oh man, you start second guessing stuff. You stop, yeah. stop having confidence. And then actually you know you're bumping a freaking huge deer. Cause you're, you weren't taking your time slipping into a spot. Um, or you just don't sit long enough, and he still comes through during the midday, even though it's hot. He still comes through, but you know you're all mopey because you're like, "Man, it's hot. Ain't no deer gonna be moving." And yeah. you go back to the truck, and you don't see anything. Yeah. So uh,
1: that's how it was that day in Georgia. I shot that buck. Josh is getting ready to go back to the truck already. It was like mm-hmm. nine o'clock, and uh, or it was nine thirty or whatever. And yep. I texted, him. "I shot a buck." He's like, we "We're about to get down." And yep. I'm like, "No, man. You gotta sit. You gotta stay out there. Yeah. Even when it's even when it sucks, you know. Especially that time of year, you, you just got to put the time in. That's for sure." Um, you got anything else with uh, Jeremy in
0: this uh, episode? Yeah, boat access. Um, so, one thing Jeremy said that he really likes about when it comes to hunting river bottoms and kind of like his niche is the idea, especially if you're on a river that has a lot of, like, it winds really, you know, a decent amount back and forth, how you can hunt pretty much any spot with any kind of wind just based off how you can get there with a the boat and um you know pretty much any wind condition you can get into a spot to go hunt if it's a pretty windy river and you kind of come in from the top bottom side however you need to be there and i thought that was pretty interesting but another thing he brought was using a really small boat and if he, anybody goes and watches their youtube channel again do it yourself hunter uh on youtube you'll see some of their boat setups because uh, i think jeremy's got a couple boats um uh, you know, he mentioned in the podcast uh, the boat that he actually flipped when the motor didn't start and uh, and got thrown into the river. Um, that was a canoe, which is like a it's a fiberglass flatback canoe. Um, Spell that. Uh, it was- G- it's G H. It's spelled weird. Yeah. You know. Ganoo, yeah, why, why, why are you putting me on the spot right now? Because I thought you knew how to spell. I'm no, sorry, you're, you're talking I to, forgot you don't know how to read. Yeah, don't know how to read, write, <laughs> talk, nothing. Um, but yeah, anyways, uh, but I've actually I've looked at Bonnie in the past, um, and uh, and getting a little trailer because again, they're super small boats, uh you know typically you you pull them on a small one uh one axle trailer uh and they they come in different sizes and you can typically run like on some even the small ones you can run at least like a six horsepower outboard on them and i don't know exactly how big jeremy's is but it's also especially if you get a small one they're fiberglass they're a little heavy but you can potentially manhandle a little bit like i wouldn't want to drag it really far and especially you know Mm -hmm. because it's fiberglass tear it up a little bit yeah but um you know if you needed to kind of get down to a spot you Potentially could pretty pretty easily depending on how steep it was, but the whole idea of using a small boat for access. So he's kind of like he's in that step between a, a kayak and a boat like what we have. Yeah, because okay? our, our our boat that we have now is a, a seventeen fifty four all aluminum uh, tracker. Uh, boat with a 50 horsepower yamaha which is exactly like what jeremy was talking about which is a lot of guys that he has kind of competition but he can get away from those boats because his boat's so small he can push pull it back into the spot or he can run it really shallow and i almost guarantee he probably has one of those little manual jacks jack plates on his boat yeah and probably cranks his outboard up pretty high so he can get real skinny with that thing uh and run it in you know a foot and a half two feet of water pretty easily um i know some guys you know if you're using a surface drive on your boat you can get it super skinny but again you know having a a super small lightweight boat you can definitely get back in some stuff that you know just a bigger boat like what we have which still isn't like a huge boat but it's a lot bigger than what he's using yeah um you know our boat would be a lot more limited or or have limited access in some of those spots compared to what he's talking about i got dude i
1: got a spot that i sent you that i've just i'm just drooling to go look at and go hunt it and
0: yeah we're gonna, uh, we're in the push pull back in there yeah our
1: boat uh, and like it just depends on the water level you know it, it, whether or not we'll be able to get back in there and i don't really know how much that that body of water
0: fluctuates mm-hmm. is, is one thing that i'm a little bit interested in finding out about to, to be honest it might be one of those spots like we'll, we'll have to check this summer but it may be one of the spots you have to wait for a gnarly rain event mm-hmm. before you go in there because you have the river rise. I just
1: uh, I think that spot is a home run slam dunk. Mm-hmm. So I really want to go throw some cameras in there this yep. summer. Uh, but, yeah, no, I, that's one spot I'm a little bit worried about where in a boat like ours, like if you're just super determined to get back in there, mm-hmm. it's one of those spots where you might have to run up the river a little bit and like have like a canoe or kayak in the boat. And then throw that, you know, anchor up, go tie up somewhere, and then hop in the canoe and go the rest of the way Which, in. That is Which a, I'm willing to do.
0: And, and I, I agree. And that's one thing I like about our boat because our boat's big enough, you can throw a 12 to 14 foot um, canoe okay. in there. Mm-hmm. And still, you know, strap it down, and it's not going to be obnoxious to go yeah. right out there. It's with two guys now. If you had more than two guys, it'd be, it'd be, there's You'd no way you start getting a little bit weird. Yeah, but with two guys, I, I again, I would it, if that spot's as good as we think it's going to be, it would be well worth doing that. And I will try not to flip us when we're we get the. We're going to find uh, out. Yeah, I'll try not to flip no, us. No, we're bringing the canoe.
1: two kayaks. I ain't getting in a canoe with you. <laughs> yeah, that that'll be fun. But I, I'm I'm excited to hear Jeremy talk at the Mobile Hunters Expo. And I'm excited to get him back on for sure. Yeah, uh, and get and get some more details out of him, and, and really get into the nitty gritty stuff. So uh, we know that we're going to have him back on. So listeners out there, if you got questions that that you'd like to hear him answer, make sure you write in with those on our Q and A section on the website. So we got a brand new Q and A page where you can go drop your questions over there. And uh, every once in a while, when we get enough of them in there, we'll do a Q and A episode. Or or if there's guest uh, specific questions, you know, we'll hit them up with those questions and you'll be able to get your stuff right on the show
0: yeah also, on a side note, and I'm sure we can put that down in the uh, show description. Uh, again, you can just go over it's the website. It's www.thesouthernoutdoorsmen.men.com. Again, do if you search "man," it'll come up, but it's "men," guys. <laughs> Southernoutdoorsmen.com. But also, something that you guys can help us out with. This will be in the show notes down below as well. Is we have a new listener survey that we need you guys to take part in. It'd be a absolutely huge help for us. I've uh, got a new survey going on just kind of learning a little bit more about you guys and and kind of you know a little of y'all's background and that'll be down the show notes as well uh it takes you literally about a minute and a half to finish the survey i think it's like 20 questions super simple yep and uh if y'all wouldn't mind just taking a couple minutes you could pause the podcast right now go down to the show notes click the link and fill that out that'd be extremely extremely helpful for us guys and we would greatly greatly appreciate that
1: yeah definitely uh, let's hit some reviews here we got a couple of them that that push us over that 1000 review mark so i'll get the first one this one's from final draw he said best in the biz five stars this is the most relatable applicable information a deer hunter can listen to and use whatever wherever they live and whatever hunting style they prefer
0: hold on i want to uh, i want to read uh razorback red hold on yeah this is him okay razorback
1: red <laughs> that's it's a red bug red
0: Razorback Red. Oh, well his
1: name I is I know, but, Red but he
0: signed off for Razorback Red. So we're, Interesting. we're going by Razor. I love that name.
1: Razorback Clearly Red he's from Arkansas. If, yeah. if y'all don't know. Okay. <laughs> um,
0: all right, so this is I'm going to say it's from, it's from Roger Back Red. But uh, five stars, hands down, the best hunting podcast. By the way, guys, we get, we try to read off some of the new reviews when they come in on Apple Podcasts. Again, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, go leave us a five-star written review. Let us know what you like about the show. Maybe let us know if there's a certain guest or anything else you'd want to hear in the show in the review. And we'll try to read those off uh, each and every outro or Friday breakdown or whatever this episode is now. <laughs> this breakdown episode. Uh, <laughs> when, we get, when we can uh, get to can. Not great marketing. Not great marketing. Not at all. But again, hands down, best hunting podcast, 5 stars from razorback red i've been listening to y'all for over two years and decided it's time to post a review we appreciate that it's impressive how consistent y'all are on getting these guests on that are stone cold mature buck killers the content is spot on for just about any hunter out there especially southern hunters from a beginner to the most advanced hunter the content y'all put out consistently helps hunters improve on their skills it's definitely helped me throw it well, let me start that over. Hey, I was just about to say, you must have been practicing your <sighs> reading because you're doing really good. Yeah, and you're interrupting me. <laughs> Son of a gun. It's definitely helped me improve my skills. From hunting ag land in southeast Arkansas to some rough terrain in the Washtaw Mountains, my success rate with mature buck kills has improved 100%. Or I kind of flipped that around, 100% improved. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> Thank you all for what you all do and keep up the good work. Good luck in the woods this year signed off and raised the back red.
1: Hey, that was pretty good. Jacob did pretty good on that. Everyone give him a hand. (laughs) All right. The struggle bus. Great show. As always five stars, uh, Keep it up. Great content. And why has Andrew been holding out on GIS mapping? I'm going to need a deep dive about GIS and LIDAR for e-scouting for the most recent imagery because I just got done looking at the county's image, uh, county's GIS satellite imagery for a solid two hours of the WMAI hunt. So what he's referring to there is I did a podcast with the National Deer Association for their uh, Deer Season 365 podcast uh, with Brian Grossman. So he interviewed me about mapping stuff. Uh, if, if y'all don't know, like my background is GIS and mapping. What is GIS, by the way? Geos- geospatial information systems.
0: I was going to say, do you not even know what it means? <laughs> I know, I, I, got, I got
1: confused for a minute there. I'm not going to lie. Um, it, maps. Okay. It's, it's, it's maps and data and stuff like that. So, so that's what you do for a living. That's what I do for a living. Uh, that's what I've been doing for several years now. And um, if people don't know this, this is one thing I talked about on that podcast. If you want all the all the details, you can go there, but we'll probably do it, uh, a mapping heavy episode because I just I could talk about it for hours. Yep. But what he's referring to specifically is a lot of counties have especially if it's a if it's a uh, wealthier county um, or just a county that has more people in it you know if you have a very very rural county that doesn't have a big town in it they're probably not going to have this but if it's a county that has uh, a lot of people in it i use montgomery county alabama as an example because there's a lot of people in montgomery obviously and they have a, a gis site so you just look up like montgomery county gis you find the right site where it is their gis where they host their own data and a lot of them, if again, if they're like a, a wealthier county with a higher population, they'll fly their own imagery. So Montgomery County, Alabama, has like six-inch resolution imagery. That's their imagery. It is. It's not on X, It's not on any other app. It's not on Google Earth. It's not on Bing imagery. It's. It's only on that website. And it, a lot of times, it's like the most crisp leaf off survey grade imagery that you are going to find because that's what it's for they're, they're not flying like the whole state they're flying their county and they're doing it for like survey purposes so if if the county that you hunt has that you can go and get some insanely good imagery I mean like the best of the best but some mm-hmm. of the best imagery you've ever seen Madison County, Alabama is the same way they have imagery that's so good in some places that it looks like drone imagery I mean you can zoom way in and find some stuff uh, so that's an excellent, excellent resource out there. So just whatever county you hunt, you can go kind of check it out. Or if you're just wanting an example of what I'm talking about, you can look up you know, a bunch of counties in Alabama, like Marshall County, Madison County, Limestone County. Or if you live in Montgomery. another state. Yeah, like if you live in another state and you just want an example of what I'm talking about, you can look up those, oh. or you can go look up your own county in whatever state that you're in. Uh, and like I said, not every county has them. So not even every county in Alabama has them. All those counties I just listed have like population centers
0: yeah higher population
1: and so that's why they have that so it's kind of like a double edged like if you're hunting way out in the middle of nowhere you're probably not going to have great imagery but sometimes you do so check it anyways uh, it can be super super helpful
0: so anyways next review this is from SD Kirkland great list in five stars awesome resource for us southern folk I'm going to knock out this the next one this is from <laughs> something Alec? Yeah. Your guess is as good as mine, guys. Great show. Five stars. Awesome content. Super easy. I'll do one more here. This is from Timber Maverick. That's great. That's his actual name, that's a great name. Timber Maverick? That's a great name. <laughs> that's his I actual gu- legal name? I guarantee it's not. But if it was, <laughs> then I might, na- if I, have a son, I might name him Timber. There Timber. You go. Timber. Uh, all right. Anyways. Here's Timber. So, most related. <laughs> <laughs> No, I thought it was some great memes. Oh, man. <laughs> most rela- Get your mind out of the gutter. Most Relatable Podcast, five stars. This is hands down the best podcast for public hunting, or flip side, hunting public. This guests, th- these The guests share a lifetime of knowledge and vast array of tactics. Whether you're just beginning to hunt or have hunted a lifetime, this podcast is for you. I listen most every day. It's informative, entertaining, and funny. Well, I'm glad you got the entertaining and funny part, and I'm glad you're getting some information out of <laughs> too. <laughs> Absolutely. All right,
1: last one from Pines and Tines. First and last podcast, five stars. This was the first hunting podcast I ever listened to nearly four years ago, and it's the last one I'll ever need. It has definitely played a huge role in helping me to continue to improve and effectively hunt these elusive bucks here in East Texas. Keep up the great work, boys, and see you in a Chattanooga. Whoop, whoop. Come on. Yeah, man. Dude,
0: dude, Pines and Tines. I want to meet Pines you. Pines and Tines. <laughs> you
1: better come up to us in Chattanooga or I'm
0: going to be mad at you. No, hey, listen, by the way, I almost I almost think we ought to do like some kind of like little giveaway or reward or something for like the most creative and interesting the review names. Oh, dude. Like, I man,
1: you got you got the Hall of Famers. You got Thicket Cricket, Big Bucknuts. We haven't heard
0: from Big But Nuts. We haven't heard from Thicket Why Cricket in a while. Why do you say Nuts. Nuts. I just you know,
1: can always say nuts.
0: Nux. Nux. Nuts. You know. <laughs> um and uh yeah so uh and, and you struggle bus i just one. totally threw you off yeah right, you totally I? threw me off but anyways <laughs> well yeah no i'd love to see some more creative names i think it's a blast like again razorback red i love that I'm digging it even though i'm not a razorback fan that's that this is a great name it's got uh, a good ring to it that's right that's right so
1: well yeah we hope to see you on chattanooga definitely try to find us and talk to us we want to
0: meet all you guys and and make sure if you're coming to if it comes to the show on chattanooga guys make sure you make time for like seeing these seminars and listening to these seminars from all, yep. the, the, all the great guests and seriously bring a notepad. Like, come take notes. Just don't don't come in to sit in the crowd. Make sure you bring a notepad because I've already talked to a couple of different speakers. There's going to be some unbelievable information that you probably even haven't heard on the podcast uh, from some of these guests. Because uh, again, a few of the speakers have been on the podcast. Again, Hunter Hogan, Jeremy Aaron. Now we got Michael Perry and Jonathan Moreland. They've all been on the podcast before, but they're me covering topics that even some of them haven't actually covered in much detail on the podcast. So bring a notepad. Make sure you take plenty of notes. Sit down and uh, and relax. And again. Hold in for the long run because it's going to be a lot of speaking. It's going to be, but it's going to be some great presentations. And I, I promise you guys, you will thoroughly enjoy it. Yeah. And you get to ask them questions. Yep. There's going to be some awesome q And guess what? We're going to be running the mics. We're going to be the MCs. So y'all can uh, come and harass us as well uh, while we're running the mics and making sure things going somewhat smoothly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. man, that's what I'm saying. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh,
1: so, anyways, that that's going to wrap this one up. Make sure y'all tune in on Monday for the next episode of Southern Outdoors Podcast. We appreciate everybody listening. Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a, a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, we talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, All the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are going to be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are going to be there. It's just, it's going to be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all going to be there and you, you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it. You're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out and figure out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no-brainer. you got to be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.